am hoping that uh, what I have for you guys is going to change your way you see God just a little bit, or hopefully a whole lot. I've been teaching, well, I'm sure you guys know, the Surrender to Love class. And, you know, whenever you start teaching something or you start looking at it in a different perspective, you always start trying to find God more deeply. Because even though I'm the one teaching it, I'm always looking to learn and gain from everybody else. And God always opens himself up a little deeper with each class, with each, you know, event we do, with each session we have with him. Um, so really looking at surrendering to God completely, you always have to deal with lack of trust and lack of faith and why we doubt and how we get stuck there for what seems to be a great portion of our relationship with God. We teeter on, should I really trust you? Should I really have full faith? Are you who you said you are? And we have all these questions that almost embody us and push us towards always staying almost in a state of, on that fence of, are you who you say you are or should I just go my own way? And I just think that something's gonna have to click with us completely because God never wanted us to be so fickle. He never wanted us not to be able to fully surrender, fully put your weight on the water of God. He always wanted us to be able to trust him. So why is trust such a difficult thing for us to be able to grasp? I think much of our struggle to be with God and become who God has called us to be is birth from us really not knowing God. Like we have been taught about God. We've been taught these are the steps to get into the door with God. These are the steps of not what to do. These are the steps. But we kind of miss, well, how about we just get to know him and let him do what he said he was going to do. Instead of focusing so much on the list book, get to know the person who created the list. Yeah. Then the list would make more sense. Or then we could see if there really is a list. Because we have truths about God. All of us could, could break down a little bit of what we know about God, right? We have had some experiences with God. We know God is real because we can go back to the past and say, but he did do. And I know that was God. And he did feel me. And he did save me. And I remember when he brought me out of this. And I remember when such and such happened. However, I think far too many of us fail to really know who God is. I think we could probably say we know a lot more things personally and intimately than what we know God. I think we know people more than we know God. I think I can say you were probably closer to me and I have kind of figured out your personality and when you say this, I kind of know exactly when you're coming from. When your tone goes there, I kind of get how you're feeling. You stay with a person long enough, you can pick up who they are. Why have we yet to pick up who God is? 
and he's living in us. We have uh, even acted like it's arrogant to say, I know God or I want to know God. It's almost like, well, you know, it's a little bold for you as a human to say, I know the almighty. But he said he wanted to be known. So that means he's given us permission to go find him, to get to know him so that you could say, I know God. He said he he's even given us his mind. He said, I'll give you my heart. I mean, from the heart, everything speaks. He said, I'll give you my eyes so you can see what I see. My hearing so you can hear. I want you to know me where you never have to question who I am. And you're in the game for 15, 20, 30 years, and we still like, I don't know if I know them. Something's wrong with that. Because if y'all was married to somebody, and it's been 15, 20 years, that's pretty awful if you don't know them yet. That's a problem. That means that we're not doing something right. And then we're sometimes chided for wanting to inquire more. Oh, you don't need to do all that. Just do the X, Y, and Z that we've been laying out for the past 150 years. It didn't work for them. It'll work for you. You'll probably get to heaven, though we don't know who's made it. So what that didn't work? I'm just saying. I'm not saying it didn't. I'm just saying, what if that didn't work, but we, so, we are so bent on sticking to the tradition and sticking to what grandma knew and great-grandma knew and how they did it, that we get angry when somebody says, but what if there's something more? What if it's something here that we kind of missed because we were so concentrating on here? No one's saying what you did was wrong. It's just saying it could be more. Shouldn't we want the more? Don't we tell the folks that, that, that just have been baptized and haven't been filled to go for the more? To get all that God has to give you? But when I want more, when I want to inquire, when I want to dig a little deeper, then I'm rebellious? And I'm a little trifling and I'm trying to stir up the cart? Well, then I'm going to stir it up. Because you should want a more deeper, profound experience with God. You should say, man, that was amazing, but I'm going to go for a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, is he that big that we can never get to his end? So why would we stop at just the beginning? Why wouldn't we keep going and going and going and going? I'm confused. But the lack of sight of who he is makes us not trust him. It makes us doubt him and it makes us have a lack of faith. And if it's impossible... To please God without faith, then shouldn't we be saying, I've got to figure out how can I get in full faith? Because anything less than full faith is I'm not pleasing him. We got to stop giving ourselves a pass for not being in faith. We've got to stop giving ourselves a pass saying, it's okay, well, everybody doesn't trust him sometimes. And we get to have doubt. And then we like to throw in, well, you know, I believe, but help my unbelief. You can't stay there for 20 years. You can't keep saying that. At some point in time, you got to say, I've got to jump to the other side and say, Lord, I just believe. But I think that our relationship, if we want to call it that, with God has boiled down to about three aspects. 
One, what is he going to do for us? Salvation, we want that. Well, I'll even throw that in first. We want to be saved. We want to be delivered. We want to be healed. And I want heaven. So what will you do for me, God? Secondly, what is he going to do to us? He going to hurt me? He going to send me to hell? He going to put a trial on me? He going to put a test on me? He going to reprove me? He going to do all this stuff to me? And then thirdly, what do I have to do to keep him from harming me? Because why don't we sin? Because we don't want to go to hell. Why don't I do this? Because I don't want him to get me. Why am I trying to like you? Because I think that's what God told me to do. <laughs> and that's the whole crux of our walk with God. That's kind of sad. So when this is our mindset, we will never willingly choose to fall fully in love with him. We will never willingly choose to have full faith and we never see the awe of God. And without love and trust, there can be no surrender. Christians are so in bondage, we are far, far from being free. Far from living the life he died for. Like he's not happy with you just being baptized getting the spirit and trying your best with, with fingers crossed and toes crossed and hands sweaty, trying to make it to heaven. He wanted you to live the free life. Go out. I don't have any holds on you. You got no laws holding you down. All you have is my free gift of salvation. You have the power of me living in you. I've covered you with grace. I keep giving you mercy. What's wrong with you people? I would just imagine him saying that. If we are really honest, God often becomes our last resort. You first try yourself and your own effort. Because you figure you're kind of smart. You've worked this for many years and you kind of know how life works for you. So you do your own stuff. And then we move on to others. Well, that didn't work. Maybe can you help me, girl? You know, and we're willing to take that little leap. And then I'm not saying we're not praying in the midst. I think we do pray. I just think that we got some half-hearted prayers going on. Because our hearts are often split in the praying. So I'm saying, Lord, take it. Lord, do it. But all the while, my hand's in the pot. And I'm doing my thing. And I'm not really waiting on God. I'm saying, well, Lord, join me. Come on. Could you get on my program? I invite you in. This week. We welcome you in. I welcome you to do my thing. <laughs> but then our prayers get canceled because he said that if we're double-minded, we can't expect anything from him. Well, maybe we should just stop expecting because we sure prefer to be double-minded. So maybe we just leave the Lord out of it because you're playing you're fooling yourself. And then in almost full despair, and at the end of the rope, we say, okay, I better try faith. I'll give it to you, Jesus. And that's when we run up to the altar. I'm just pouring it all out for the Lord. 
Then we start quoting the scriptures. Well, cast all your cares on him because he cares. You ain't casting nothing. But now I'm going to cast because I'm at the end and my stuff ain't worked and the prayers ain't coming through, so I'm going to cast now. And then we act as if, okay, that's the epiphany. I should have trusted God. But we keep having this epiphany every three weeks. Well, that's not really an epiphany if, if you keep having the same one over and over and over. You're just fooling yourself. And can we really say that this is then us trusting God? Can we really say that that was really an act of faith when it was really just the last resort? And is this really trust? Is this the kind of faith that God was describing for us to have? I think he wants to be first and only first. I don't think he's willing to play second to anyone, not even to you. But because we haven't come fully bare and vulnerable to God, exposing all our parts to him, he hasn't been given the opportunity to love us to wholeness. He hasn't been given the opportunity to show us why we do what we do and how he can help us. So until we come bare, he can't even reveal to you yourself. And that's why we keep spinning in the circle. We're just the children of Israel. In that same little circle for 40 years. I mean, really, are we going to wait 40? Lord, are we going to be with you 40 years before we say, oh, you was there. Oh, that was you. Goodness. But remember, they were there for them to see themselves. And for them to see God, you get to choose how long it takes. That whole doggone will, you know, you get to choose that free will. Sometimes we wish he would have just said, don't give me that many choices. You got too much faith in me because I keep making the wrong choice. <laughs> so if we're honest, I think we may feel a bit let down by God. I think we came in here thinking that he was going to really protect us when we chose salvation. That when everyone else let us down, we finally found the God. Because when we first met him, we was good with him. We kind of believed, we trusted. When we first got salvation, this was good stuff. <sighs> then the stuff happened. Then I said, you're like everybody else. Oh, you're not going to protect me either? Because no matter what kind of relationship we're in, I'm always looking for my persons to have some protection around me. You never were supposed to just leave me bare and let myself get hurt. Be it a friend, a parent, a lover, no matter what it is, they encircle us. And that's the beauty of having good people around you because you know you're protected. So we came to God to be protected. And since we have been with God, we have been hurt and at times devastated. The risk feels too great to lay it all on the line again. 
But until we can lay it all on the line, we will never see that we are fully supported, even in the face of evil. I will use the analogy of fire to try to show you what I mean. So if there's fire, you can be some distance away from it and still feel it. Right? You can be a good distance away from it, depending on how big the fire is, and you can still feel it. You get closer, and the flames, you feel them a little more. You can actually get so close that you can be burned from just being too close to the flames. But the burn that you would experience if you actually were in the flames cannot be compared to that proximity burn. So, yeah, you have to treat the burn. You may have been harmed, not saying it didn't hurt, but you will heal. And you will heal faster, usually completely, and oftentimes you won't even have a lifetime scar. If you were to be in the flames, you risk your skin actually dissolving. You stay there long enough, your bones can dissolve as well. See, this is what the devil and evil wants to do to us. It wants to literally dissolve us. But because we do have the protection of God, we at most get a burn from being close to the flames. This is why he can then say that the evil one touches you not. No doubt you got burned. And we're not minimizing, nor do we have to minimize anything that's come in our lives. We don't have to play it down. We don't act like we ain't hurt, been devastated, been rolled on the floor. You get to see it all in full view. But I think we need to see the shield that's around us. I think we need to ask God sometimes when you have been burned, show me what the devil wanted to do to me. Let me see what really would have happened had you not been there. Because we can only have the vision we have. But this is when you seek wisdom. This is when you go after God and say, God, I'm not seeing this. And I'm feeling let down from you. So you give me your vision so that I can see that it was just proximity. But I never was really in the flames. And then will he show it to us? Sometimes he will. And then sometimes this is going to be another Challenge of your faith. Will you just trust that I say it? That what was wanting to come and get you, I didn't let it go to full view. If you can't see what you have been protected from, then what has touched you seems unbearable and leaves you feeling deserted. So if we look at Job, great personal reference, because we all know the story of Job. You know, and I think we sometimes need to go back and read that story a couple of times because it's so much in those 40 something chapters that we have jumped over because we have summed up his story on so many occasions. Okay, it's your story about this, this, this and that. And we cut it off. And there's so much in it that we need to really explore. So you had it, you know, and I'm about to do the, the same thing and sum it up real fast. Okay, so... <laughs> Um, you have the friends that were guessing when all this stuff happened. You got the wife that got fed up. 
you know, we talked about that woman, but you probably would have been a little fed up too if it was your person. And then I think we minimize the fact that this happened to her too. You know, it, wasn't, it didn't just happen to Joel. She was still alive, too, and lost all her kids, right. lost all her lifestyle, and had to watch her husband go through health issues. I'm a little tired with you, too. You know, so she was just putting it out there. And then you have Job himself in complete shock that such things befell him because he knew he was a good guy. He knew he was trying to have integrity, was living up to the thing, doing everything he thought he was supposed to be, and did not think God would bring something like that to him. Because he had the idea that only evil deals with pain. And only bad people get punishments. And this is our view. Because we're like, but I, I, didn't, I didn't done the thing with you, Lord. I'm trying to give you my life. And I can't quite understand why you keep letting this stuff slap me all in the cheeks? Where are you? So we kind of sum it up and we chide, you know, Job for, for speaking his piece over and over. And then we just say, you should just shut up. That's what we then took from the crux of the story. Shut up, bear the pain, hope you get to heaven and end. God get to do what he want to do. Don't question him. Don't bother him with all your dismay. And let's move on from it. Because we say that's what faith is. Faith is really just laying down and saying, life, take me. Oh, I trust God. Going to work it out. Faith is active. Faith is part of the relationship. Faith is not silent. So we get to have this thing with God. When we have faith in God, because then I know who God is and I know God doesn't mind. See, Job had an extreme amount of faith in God. He knew what he knew about God and was willing to explore it. We don't do that. Instead, we play the fake role. At least Job was honest with his. David was honest with his. And instead of taking honesty from the scriptures, we've taken shut up and fake it. How did we get there? How did we get suffering silence? When everyone who suffered screamed. It was like, God, are you serious? How long, when? And do X, Y, and Z to the folks. But we in church and we, oh, Lord, just say thank you, Jesus. And all things give thanks. And I'm sitting here lying because I'm not giving thanks for this. But what if we looked at the Job story from a different perspective? I think we hear God being very angry when he finally responds to Job. And like he's saying, how dare you question me? Do you get who I am? Don't talk to me like that. But I see it as God saying, let me teach you about me. I've heard everything you've said because I actually listen when you talk. I'm going to tell you about how vast I am, how massive I am. Let me tell you all that is involved in being God. Because you may get a, you got a small view of me. 
you're not quite getting how extraordinary I am and how I orchestrate everything. So I'm going to help you. I'm going to tell you all that I have in my hands and that nothing ever stops, nothing ever falls, nothing ever stops spinning. And this is all just because of me. I see love when he checked Job. I see him saying, you get to say what you want to say, but I'm going to answer you. And I'm going to work it all out for you. But let me show you something about you since you think you got it all together. Because if you remember in the earlier chapters when Job finally started talking to his friends, right? His biggest thing was he was a little self-righteous. He, he, he was, you know, but the funny thing is, though, he was all that self-righteous, how much favor God had in him. God thought very highly of Job, even with the little mess in his life. He thought very highly of him because he's telling Satan, go talk to that one. You coming up in my presence. And isn't that interesting, just side note real fast, that the devil just gets to walk in God's presence. And say, hey, God, he may say it, but you can say, hey, God, um, I've been looking around this earth and I'm a little bothered by some stuff. And you think these people are so wonderful and they only are doing this for you because you keep everything together and you so wonderful. And, you know, because the devil really likes to bother God. They have a very antagonistic relationship that still is going on today. So the devil keeps coming in the presence saying, hey, God, you think that person loves you so much? Well, let me show you something. Let's set them up. Let's see what's going to happen when this happens to them. And let's see if they still love you. So he had the first test they came. Right. And then the devil's like, only reason is because he's just a jerk. That's what he is. You know what I mean? He's just always just tapping you and bothering you. And that's what he does to God. Oh, you wait till you do this. I bet you he won't be with you then. And how about this? So you think over your life. Because remember, the devil knows you're chosen. The devil knows how much God loves you. You don't know it. You questioning if you're chosen. You ain't really sure the spirit's with you. But the devil knows, dang. That person really kind of like God. See, you even like him more than you think you do. So you look over your life. All that time, the devil's been going up to God. Look at them. Let's get them. Can I have them? Let's see. And the fact that God allows some of this mess to come says God has faith in you. We're fighting so hard to have faith in God, but God just has faith in you, which is a little crazy. I have faith that you're not going to leave me. That's crazy. Because you think about, let's just bring it down just a little bit. If me and my husband together, he really believe I love him, right? And that I'm really going to stick with him no matter what. And he just go cut a fool, right? Just act up. You have faith that I'm not going to leave you? 
don't have that much faith. Because I think I'm leaving. But God says, I'm going to bring all that all this come to you. Now, notice also, God did not do anything to Job. It is all the hands of Satan that did this to Job. Do not mix the two. God just says, you can do what you want to them because I trust them to stay with me. So not, let's not bother, blame God, excuse me, for the stuff that comes in your life. When stuff comes, take it as another note that God really trusts you. Oh, you didn't get that job? Oh, I trust them. They're not going to leave. That person broke their heart. Oh, they still not going to go nowhere. They ain't got nowhere to live. <sighs> okay. They still staying, though. They didn't lost their health, but they not going to leave me because God knows how good he is. So next time, just see it a little different. And then the thing is, we act like God don't want to talk to us, right? Or he's not going to talk to us. He was quite chatty, right? I mean, yeah, Job had a lot to say, and he talked a little longer than the Lord. However, you got from chapter 38 to 42, him telling you just about himself. And not like three verses. <laughs> no, he broke the mess down. So don't think that God is not going to give you the same thing. And the trip is, is that when you go and you read all the conversations that Job had, when God came back and talked to him, he hit every point that you've been sitting there fussing about. Oh, you said this about me? Oh, let me tell you about this, 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 and that. It was all in reply to everything you said. So all y'all been talking and everything you've been questioning, God hears it all. Sometimes you're going to have to just sit back and let him school you. And then notice that he, when he speaks to them, he speaks to him in the eye of the storm. So in the eye of the storm, sometimes that's when God's going to give you your deepest revelations. So he took Job to school. It's too much for us to read the whole thing. But I'm going to trust y'all to go back and read it now with the view of love and assurance, not with the eyes of anger. So look, look at Job's response, right? This is his first response. Job 40, 1 through 14. And I'm reading from the message translation. So it says, God then confronted Job directly. See, directly. He don't have to talk to somebody else to get to you. Now, what do you have to say for yourself? Are you going to haul me, the mighty one, into court and press charges? And Job answered, I'm speechless in all. Words fail me. I should never have opened my mouth. I've talked too much, way too much. I'm ready to shut up and listen. God addressed Job next from the eye of the storm, and this is what he said. He says, I have some more questions for you and I want straight answers. So no, sometimes God's going to ask you stuff and he wants you to respond. Do you presume to tell me what I'm doing wrong? Are you calling me a sinner 
so you can be a saint? Do you have an arm like my arm? Can you shout and thunder the way that I can? Go ahead, show your stuff. Let's see what you're made of, what you can do. Unleash your outrage. Target the arrogant and lay them flat. Target the arrogant and bring them to their knees. Stop the wicked in their tracks. Make mincemeat of them. Dig a mass grave and dump them in it. Faceless corpse in an unmarked grave. I'll gladly step aside and hand things over to you. You can surely save yourself with no help from me. So I see this from a perspective of a parent talking to a child. After the child got a little too big for the britches. You know, because as your kids get older, they tend to think they know a whole lot. And you do get a little peeved because you're like, I do know a little more than you. But let me, let me go on and let you think you can figure it out. You think you can do this without me? You want to make your own rules? You want to pay your own bills? Go ahead. I'm not going to stop you. Show me how you can handle your life better than the way I've handled it. I'm sure almost every parent has almost had that conversation. Because we as children, as we're growing up, tend to think that we get an epiphany and we're like, I know some stuff. And I would have done this different and this different and that different. So God said, okay, you think you can do it? I'm going to step aside. Go ahead. Save yourself. You, you got so much going for you. You know so many answers. Well, then do it. I'm not going to even stand in your way. And the, the thing that upsets you as a parent is, I have your very best interest. This is a good parent. I have your very best interest in mind. I have a vision for you since you were born. I know where I want to see you. You don't quite see what I see. Because you're just now getting some eyesight. I've had eyesight for you since the moment you came out of me. So I'm just trying to get you to the potential that I see in you. And you know if you have a kid that ever just kind of goes the wrong way, you're messing up the vision. You, you're getting sidetracked to where I need you to go because God already showed me who you're going to be. Stop it. And I love how he knows if we really get it or not. See, like, he could have just stopped talking to Job. I'm sorry. I'm speechless, Lord. I see you and all. See, that's us. Every time we had that epiphany. Um, I know I said too much, Jesus. Let me just get it together. That's when we surrender again. That's when we say I'm rededicating my life. <laughs> That's when we, you know, put everything aside. And, and the Lord says, you didn't really get it, though. So I'm going to have to talk to you one more time. So go to Job 42. And we're going to 1 through 6. So now God schools him a little bit more. So now Job answers God again. And he says, I'm convinced you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one can upset your plans. You asked, who is this muddying the water, ignorantly confusing the issue, 
Second guessing my purposes, I admitted I was the one. I babbled on about things far beyond me, made small talk about wonders way over my head. You told me, listen, and let me do the talking. Let me ask the questions. You give the answers. I admit I once lived by rumors of you. That's where we stand. I live by rumors of you. Now I have it all firsthand. From my own eyes and ears. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I will never do that again. I promise. I'll never again live on crust of hearsay and crumbs of rumors. And see, this is why you have to have experiences with God. If Job had never went as far as he went and said all the words that he said, he would not have firsthand knowledge from God about who God is. Job was forever changed. Never again would he get to questioning and why did you, and I, because you do get a time. Once you get face to face with God, you really do stop asking him a bunch of questions. Not because I'm scared. Not because I don't think you answer me, but because I have trust that you got this. What a beautiful place to finally get to. Lord, help us get there. So that we don't have to live in this tensy. We are just anxious, confused, scared, frightened. It's a horrible way to live. Uncertain. When is this going to come? How is this going to be handled? When am I going to be taken care of? <sighs> we tired. And you know when you're tired, you don't think straight. You don't make good decisions. When you're nervous and confused, you're messing some stuff up. And we are often messing up our own lives because we are in such a bad state of mind. This is what God wants from our hearts. He wants us to get to where Job got. I, and no longer will I not trust you. No longer am I believing what this person said and that person said. I'm taking a straight hand. Lord, talk to me directly. I'm not going to listen to nobody else. Because I didn't got messed up. I've been listening to everybody for, for 20 years and it ain't worked out good. Your opinions stink. So I think we need to be mesmerized by God again. I think we have such a tainted view of God that it stops us from being pure. It stops us from seeing him and just be like, I have God with me. See, we're not taken by that anymore. We're not like, do y'all get what I got? He's still kind of really small. And who he is. We just got a couple of catchphrases. And we act like that's just God. Hmm. I just, I want to read um, some of what God said. Just for reference. And I want you to receive it just so that you can say, 
This is the God who loves us, who wants to be in a relationship with us. This is the God ordering our steps. This is the God who we are supposed to serve. So if you can receive it with no defensiveness, but just all, like, dang, you're really doing the thing. So go to Job 38. We're going to start with verse 1. And then we're back to him um, speaking from the eye of the storm. He says, why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Pull yourself together, Joe. Pull yourself together, Peanut. Get it together, Dre. Jason, stop it. Foolishness. Get up on your feet. Stand tall. I have some questions for you. And I want some straight answers. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me since you know so much. Who decided on its size? Certainly, you'll know that. Who came up with the blueprints and the measurements? How it was, I'm sorry, how was its foundation poured? And who set the cornerstone? While the morning stars sang in chorus and all the angels shouted praise. And who took charge of the ocean when it gushed forth like a baby from the womb? That was me. I wrapped it in soft clouds and tucked it in safely at night. Then I made a playpen for it, a strong playpen so it couldn't run loose. And said, stay here. This is your place. Your wild tantrums are confined to this place. And have you ever ordered morning, get up? Told Don, get to work? So you can seize earth like a blanket and shake out the wicked like cockroaches? As the sun brings everything to light, brings out all the colors and shapes, the cover of darkness is snatched from the wicked. They're caught. In every act, have you ever gotten to the true bottom of things? Explore the labyrinth caves of deep oceans. Do you know the first thing about death? Do you have one clue regarding death's dark mysteries? And do you have any idea how large this earth is? Speak up if you have the beginning of an answer. Just the beginning. Do you know where light comes from and where darkness lives? So you can take them by the hand and lead them home when they get lost? Why, of course you know that. You've known them all your life, grown up in the same neighborhood with them. Have you ever traveled to where snow is made? Seen the vault where hell is stockpiled? The arsenals of hail and snow that I keep in readiness for times of trouble and battle and war. Can you find your way to where lightning is launched? Or to the place from which the wind blows? Who do you suppose carves canyons for the downpours of rain and charts the route of thunderstorms? They bring water to unvisited fields. Deserts no one ever lays eyes on, drenching the useless wastelands 
so they're carpeted with wildflowers and grass. Who do you think is the father of rain and dew, the mother of ice and frost? You don't for a moment imagine these marvels of weather just happen, do you? Can you catch the eye of the beautiful Philadelphia sisters or the distract Orn from his hunt? Can you get Venus to look your way or get the great bear and her cubs to come out and play? Do you know the first thing about the sky's constellations and how they affect things on Earth? Steve, can you get the attention of the clouds and commission a shower of rain? Can you take charge of the lightning bolts and have them report to you for orders? Who do you think gave weather wisdom to the ibis and storm savvy to the rooster? Does anyone know enough to number all the clouds or tip over the rain barrels of heaven? When the earth is cracked and dry, the ground baked hard as a brick, can you teach the lioness to stalk her prey and satisfy the appetites of her cubs as they crouch in their den waiting hungrily in their cave? And who sets out food for the ravens when their young cry to God, fluttering about because they have no food? I mean, I think... We accept that this is just the world. Things just happen. We wake up in the morning. We do our routine. We expect to go outside and the sun going to be up there. We expect the sky never to fall. We expect rain to come when the season when we said it's going to come. We expect the ocean to stay where it's supposed to stay. We expect the mountains to always stay up. We see wildlife and we think, oh, somehow they figure out how to eat. That was God who did all of that. That was God who taught every animal how to protect its young. With the set of things he gave them on how to eat, this is how you feed your babies. Okay, we need some rain over there. Come on, clouds. It's too hot. Let's, let's bring a little shade. Let me make this tree grow this size. Let's make sure this animal is good for this and that. We forget who God is. And that all of this comes from him. This is his mind. He created everything in us. The fact that we can think and walk and talk and smell and have a heartbeat and have kidneys. And why did he create everything that's in here? He's God. That's crazy. But we, we, we have taken him for granted. And we don't have a view of him of being so vast and amazing. And this is what he really wanted Job to get. I am responsible for it all. I got billions of people breathing every day. I'm keeping everyone alive. I am saying it is time for that one to be born, and this one has to come back home. And I have never missed a beat. I have never called someone that was supposed to live die. I have never given someone breath when breath was supposed to be taken away. 
billions of people. And he's not confused by one of us. He is the only reason why we are able to do anything that we do. As small as take a step. As small as being able to digest a piece of fruit. He is orchestrating it all. So why do we doubt him to be able to take care of our issues? Why do we doubt that he's not capable when he keeps the stars in the sky, when he keeps the planets rotating, when he talks to the wind and the waves? I mean, why do we think, oh, God can't handle that? God can't handle your job? God can't handle your relationship? God can't keep you in line and keep your soul saved, the soul he created, the plan he orchestrated, and your something caught him by surprise? And we should be scared. We're supposed to be the smartest ones, but we some dumb folks. Because the animals and all that, they, need, they just doing what they do. Everything out there is, is saying, you got it. We just completely missed the mark. All because we don't see God. And we've made this be about us and not about him. Because if any time we said my salvation and my life is about God, I would have no reason to be afraid. God. And then the crazy thing is, God did all this for Job because he cared so much about him. I want you not to feel so confused. I hear all your questions. I hear you're so nervous. Let me just tell you so you can calm your little self down. Because it's probably you didn't got on my nerves. You, up here doing all this. I didn't send him your way because I trusted you so much. I sent him your way because I knew that you were a man of integrity because I thought so highly of you. And you didn't miss the mark of what I was doing. That's why he, why you confused the issue. You thought the issue was that I was punishing you? You thought the issue that I was coming after you? No, the issue was that I really trust and believe in you. And you got confused. And then that's when he goes and chides the friends at the end. He, well, I'm getting y'all. And y'all need to repent. Because y'all didn't mess the whole thing up. You were saying stuff about me that wasn't true. You told this man that he was getting this because I've only seen bad folks get punished. There's something you had to have done then, Job. I mean, this is because this is a little ridiculous. But his friends was with him. They sat with him in silence for seven days. I don't know who's going to sit with me for seven days in silence. Just because you know I'm in pain. You can't leave. You just sit there with me. And I'm just going to look at you until I can get it together. Seven days is a long time to give your life to somebody. And they did that for him. And then they was, they was cool with it. They did what they all they knew. They was trying to help. That's why sometimes we just can't really help. And we just got to say, 
Well, won't we both ask God to come talk to us? Because <laughs> we don't seem to have the right answers. Mm. But he wants us to know him. He loves us that much. That is just Job. Look how many people were on the earth then. There were other people going through stuff. Job wasn't the only good person on the earth that had some claim. But Job, let me talk to you. Come here. Have a seat. Let me tell you about who I am. Just so you never have to be confused again. And when you know him, you have to be in awe of him. When you have a right perspective of God, you have to stand and say, oh, my God. And this is when he goes into the fear and all of that. And I was going to do a whole analysis. I had the whole thing planned out right. Of fear versus reverence and how we get it confused and why it's different. But it was too much. I couldn't do all that because I thought this said enough. So. I'm almost finished, actually, because I figured that was enough. And this is what I'm going to take. I'm going to sum it up really good of what the difference really is between fear. That is in the Bible, right? And reverence of what God wants us to get to. So fear, as in being afraid, right, has its place. It is for those who don't know God. It is for those who choose to stay on the perimeters of his love. It is for those who choose not to dive into the ocean of grace and mercy and just float, knowing that you're fully supported. Fear can keep you in line. Fear can keep you from doing blatant sins and keep you in a religious hold. Fear rarely leads to true repentance. And the reason why is because repentance is not just turning from sin. It is turning from sin, yet turning to God. And why would I turn to a God that I'm deathly afraid of? So I am stuck in almost a holding pattern of, dang, I don't want to do this, and I'm sorry. We stay in just a sorry mode. I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me of my sin, but I never fully repent because I never turn fully to God. So I get forgiven, right? I'm not saying God doesn't forgive us. You get forgiven, but you stay on the parameters your whole safe life because you don't know how to turn fully to God. And see, this is how fear and grace cannot work together. Because you either choose fear or you choose grace. Grace is me completely just giving it all up and saying, you said you was going to do it. So I'm going to rely completely on the grace and the plan that you created. Fearsy is, I got to help you out a little bit. Fearsy is, there's this list that I'm going to try to stay within just in case. I'm not about to run out into that free living. I'm going to stay right here in this box. Because we know it's a good chance we're going to do okay here. And I'm not saying you won't do okay. And I'm not saying you won't make it to heaven. I'm saying that you stay on the perimeters of God's love and grace. Now, we could get into a debate over if that's going to work. 
Because then you got to really stay the line. Because he says the moment you choose to live in the law, grace is forfeited. Now, if y'all think y'all can make it without grace, you, you're more than welcome to try. Now, they did try all those years. And it's why the good Jesus came and had to die and all that, because we couldn't quite seem to keep the law. Now, if you want to try the law, because you got a little more going, I can't argue with you. But I'm going to choose the other way, because I don't really trust myself like that. I'm going to trust Jesus more than I trust me. But it's your choice. So fear will stop me from turning completely to God. Fear will keep me shackled. But you do get to stay in control. And that's the beauty of fear. That's why we often choose fear. Because I never have to lose control. I get to always stay in the kingdom of myself. And I never have to quite open the door to the kingdom of God. Because the interest into the kingdom of God means I have to leave myself behind. You know, he's there with a, think of the little thing where you got to walk through, the little metal detector. It's a self-detector. Oh, you still got yourself? You can't come in. Would you like to disrobe? <laughs> we all standing out there just... Some of us may just have a sock on. Some of us is fully clothed with a few layers. But you can't even come in with the sock. So will you choose to get rid of yourself to take on Christ? Because remember, you have to lose your life to find your life. And we wonder why we have yet to really find who we are in God is because I've never quite let go of myself. It's a risk. It's not a, necessarily an easy choice because we got all our craziness that stops us and we got the pressure of, of, of old Satan that keeps throwing arrows at us constantly telling us that's not really a good idea you guys. Y'all this is a little nervous. I can keep you together. Because see the devil understands he can't necessarily Stop us from getting to heaven. But he sure can make us here on earth living as close to hell as we can taste. Now, you won't be there for eternity. Okay, I don't got the power to put you there because the good Jesus didn't took your life. You know, he didn't save you, washed you, all that. But I sure can make a little hell right now. This may be your only taste of hell. But why have a taste of it? I don't want any parts of hell. I am tired of living hand in hand with Satan, claiming that my love and affection is for God. We cannot think it's okay to be double-minded, holding on to both. The good Jesus does not want to play the pulley game with us. And why are we making him play that? And then you give the devil so much credence when he walks up in the Lord's presence. Because you choose not, he gets to point the finger of God. That's a little cold. But the good Lord just keeps coming after us. God, he really loves us. 
It's really unbelievable if you think to the degree that he fights for us. He's fighting really hard for us. And not at this point, because we're all saved in this room, not to save us as far as the initial salvation. He's fighting this hard for you just to get to know him. He just wants you to have a real relationship with him. <sighs> because it wasn't enough. Salvation was not enough for him. His plan is far bigger. And then if you read back Job 9, right? I think it's 35 or somewhere around there. He goes on, this is part of his lamenting when he's talking. And he says, I wish I had a mediator that could stand between me and God. Because then I could, I could talk to this mediator and he could rely everything to God because I'm not equal with God. So there's things I can't say to God that I could say to the mediator. And the mediator would come in and make it all right for us because he would be the one bargaining for us. But we have the mediator. So with the anguish that Job had, we shouldn't even have it because I have the bridge. I got someone sitting right next to God now fighting for me. Saying, nah, just give them one more chance. You know what we done went through to get them. They going to get it together. Advocating for us the entire time. Because God never changes, right? He's the same yesterday. And I mean this in the most respect, Jesus. You know I don't be trying to say stuff that's wrong. But God was, could be a bully. Look at what he pulled in the Old Testament. He would come after you. Right? He wasn't no joke. When he was like, man, you shall be destroyed. That's who he is. He, I mean, he can be really rough. And then we get Jesus that has all this love, that has all this grace and mercy. That is, if I could say, balancing the fury of God. And this is what we have. Yet we don't even take it and, and, and work with it and let Jesus do the work in us that he wants to do. If you ever take the risk and expose your naked self to God and trust fully in his grace, love, and mercy, then your fear will turn into awe. The fear that you've been gripping will, will turn into reference and you will learn to love God. We are one with God. You are one with the one who is keeping this world turning. You are one. He doesn't see a separation, which is what? You are one. We are walking hand in hand. We are completely hid. You have the very essence of creation in you. The one that said clouds, come on. The one that said ocean, okay, you stop right there. That's in you. Every day you go to sleep and wake up with that in you. And we're unsure. Then he gave us the grace so that we'll always be covered. No matter how much we mess up. Ugh. 
know how many times we miss it. The fact that we've been doing this for I don't know how many years and we still ain't got it. But grace is just applied. Mercy just keeps getting painted all over us. And then he made it clear because he knew all the laws and stuff would be too much. So he sums it up in two commandments. If you want to sum the whole thing up, just love me. And then I got this. So you have God. Think of how massive the good God is now. Standing there with heart and hand. Coming in front of you. Don't make it everybody. Make it just you. Begging you to love him. How vulnerable that is. Because whenever you give your heart to someone and you stand in front of them and say, love me, we would never do that hardly. I'm waiting for you first to say, who wants to say I love you first? Nobody, right? It's a little scary. You don't say it back. But uh, you have the God of the universe coming to you saying, just love me. Like, I'm not going to even ask anything else of you. Forget everything else you've heard. Forget all the rules and the regulations. I'm asking you just love me. And we keep saying, no, I can't love you. No matter how much you've done, I see it all, but I can't love you. I can't give you all of me. And then knowing that if you love me, you will love others. It just flows from you. And that's all I'm really asking. We've complicated it because we know then that if you fall in love with God, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if we could just concentrate on love, on falling in love with God, we wouldn't have to harp about everything else. Everything else would be taken care of. But we would prefer to take the reins of let me control you. Let me let you stay in control of yourself. Forget the love thing. Then you see how the devil works. He just crept up in there. Because every time I teach, if it's a smaller setting and people are talking back about the love of God, just love him. Just trust him and love him. But what about sin? But what about him crossing your name out the book? But there's no eternal security. But listen, can we first accomplish the first set? Because if you ever fully fell in love with God and you let God love you, the rest of it is taken care of. But I don't want to give you that much. He has to be so sad. <sighs> and then you have 1 John 4 and 18. And it makes it abundantly clear that there is no fear in love. He couldn't have said it any clearer. He said there's no fear in love. You can't spin that, flip it, try to use theology. There is no fear in love. If you have fear, you don't have love, period. Because perfect love casts out fear, period. So every time you want to scream, I know God loves me. But you walk in fear, you're lying. 
Every time you live in fear and you say, but I love God, you're lying. You don't. You don't know what it is. How about you confess the truth and say, I don't believe God loves me and I don't love you, God, but I sure would like to. It's okay. Because then he can do the work. Then, like Job, he can come talk to you. And tell you how ridiculous it is for you to think that he don't love you. And how preposterous it is that you don't love him back. And then, like Job, you can say, I'm convinced. Never again will I believe the rumors. Never again will I believe the hearsay. You love me, and I shall love you back. That's where we all have to get to in our walk with God. If we don't get there, then we're wasting our time, and it's all counterfeit. It's fake. So I'm going to end with the words from David. Psalms 86, 11 through 13. He says, tell me where you want me to go, and I will go there. May every fiber of my being unite in reverence to your name. With all my heart, I will praise you. I will give you glory to your name forever. For you love me so much. You are constantly so kind. You have rescued me from the deepest hell. Verse 15. You are merciful and gentle, Lord. Slow in getting angry. Full of constant loving kindness and truth. So look down in pity and grant strength to your servant and save me. And if we would just be so honest to say, Lord... Help me get to where you want me to be. Help me see what you want me to see. Help me to see you because I know you couldn't be happy with the way I view you. You have to want me to have, who doesn't want someone to have a clear vision of who they are? It's a horrible thing to be with somebody and they think you are capable of such nastiness. And you know in your heart, man, I would never do nothing like that. But you've characterized me to be something other than what I am. It's a hurtful place to live in. And there's someone who you love so deeply, they don't get you. It feels so bad. Who hasn't been there? But then imagine that we're doing that to God. And it's not for you to hide in shame. It's not for you to crouch in guilt. It is really for you to say, but even in my misunderstanding of him, he loves me so deeply and wants so much for me. So my prayer for us is that, that God will give us the life force that he wants us to have. Give us the vision that he wants us to have before it all got tainted, before people started lying and manipulating and all the other foolishness they did. And some of it was from a good place, but it still messed up our view of God. And I pray that we can get back the purity of God. See him for who he clearly, clearly is so that we can begin to truly worship him. See his awesomeness. 
see his splendor. Because if we don't see that, how can we worship him? We can get up here and we can sing our hearts out and we can do all that. But if we don't really know who God is, how do we live in that state where we just bow down before him? Because what am I bowing down to? Is it out of fear or is it out of love? So I just really pray that we ask God, and this every individual has to do that when you ask God from your heart, just give me another vision. Speak to me again. Help me see you. Help me know who you are. Correct all my misunderstandings. Everything I thought I knew about you, everything that I've put on you that's false, when I misspoke about stuff I had no business talking about. Smack my hand and tell me I'm wrong. And then tell me how you can show me the right way. And that is all I have. But I'm going to have Jason come sing this last song that I found that I think sums up the message in music. And I, I pray that you guys take this time to try to connect again with God and get a nice little vision of him so that we can just change this and get some strength because we're way too weak when we have the most, you know, awesome God that's backing us up and holding us up. We can do better.